Amen. We have, as you probably picked up, if you were paying attention, tonight we have a hard word from the Lord Jesus. And we're going to have another hard word next week. I'm just giving you a warning tonight. Of course, we are looking at what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark about hell. And next week, we're going to be looking at what he says about divorce, because that's what comes up next. And, you know, there's different ways you think about a saying being hard, and one of the ways you think about that is that it means it's complicated, and you don't quite get it, it's not obvious. But the problem with most of Jesus' sayings are not that they're complicated. We actually wish they were more complicated, so we could weasel our way out from, like, listening to what he has to say. We wish that Jesus was more vague than he is. But no, when I say these are hard sayings, I'm saying they're hard. Is it difficult to hear? No, and um, as I was preparing this message, I went to some of the people that I trust some commentaries, and you know, I go and I study the Word of God and, and look at the what it says in the original language, and there's a whole process. And I'm looking at some some commentaries, and it was very disappointing to find out that some of these commentaries completely punk out and say nothing about this or have one sentence that's on some super technical point with no reflection on it. Because it's not something we want to reflect on, right? No, we face the reality of God's judgment, and we did that. From the very beginning of this church, um, we sought to be faithful with the message. Um, even when we first started, we did a, our first series was in the Creed, and and two times in the creed, we have to stop. We have to talk about this, right? We have to talk about the resurrection of the dead. We have to talk about hell, and um, we certainly talked about it last summer when we were in Exodus, and Pharaoh is just getting kicked and kicked and kicked, <laughs> and God's anger and wrath is being poured out. You know. As members of the church, when people become members, and we, along with churches from all, you know, all over the world for centuries and centuries, but membership here is a part of that mission, right, of making disciples. So part of what we want to do to become a disciple is become a member of an actual church. So you're not like just shopping around or like, you know, changing the channel and hearing the, the flavor of the week, right? But you're accountable to a group of people to actually live in your real life, have, you know, follow Jesus. And um, we make vows. And, you know, we share, we promise, right? We come up and we promise to carry each other's burdens and share in each other's joys with the high times and the low times. Amen? And, and we make promises to, to renounce and turn our back to evil. To things we know are dumb and are going to wreck our lives. Right? Well, pastors also take vows. And of course, we take all those vows as members. 
this church, we have me as your pastor. Young man leading worship is a minister in training in seminary. And one day, he will take these vows. And they'll include things like not just renouncing evil, but promising to live a life that's an example to the church. It's to visit, especially when you're sick, to care for and correct and to guide the flock. And to preach the whole word of God. We make a vow to preach the whole word of God, not just the parts that we like, <laughs> not just the parts that like get us going and are our favorite or that go with the culture, right? But we have to preach the whole thing. So let's look at a text where Jesus is being a hundred, he's being real, he's being raw, and to be honest, he's being brutal. And let's not cover it up and put some potpourri on it and beautify it and, and make it easier. Let's look at what Jesus has to tell us in this text. So we see right off the bat this idea of a millstone. Let me read again verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. There are things we can do to each other. <coughs> that would be better for us and be better for the person we did it to. But if we weren't alive to do that. There are ways we hurt each other that it would be better in Matthew Jesus says in this same so he talks about the millstone, but then he also says, be better if you just weren't even born. There are things that hurt. Jesus talks about falling away. He's talking about something that happens to you that's caused by someone else that changes you forever. That you're never the same person again where you've experienced, this is this abuse, where you have experienced this abuse, where you walk out of it a different person. And, and you're no longer the person you used to be. And, and then we'll talk about, you know, the, the, the two sides of this abuse. And we're talking about, like, basic abuse to your body. Some of you know, not because it's in a textbook or in the class you took, but from personal experience, and when you are sexually abused, what happens? You tend to reenact that thing, don't you? It's like when you are neglected, abused physically, verbally abused, what do you do? It becomes your little self narrative. You tell yourself. 
things that were screamed in your face, you tell yourself, yes, yeah, yes. Okay. Whether it's verbal, it's sexual, you just I want to repeat this thing over and over again. And I say this because I have done all that stuff. You know? From being someone who repeated and reenacted my own abuse, physically, verbally, and sexually, someone who cut myself. And I'm here to tell you, this is what Jesus is talking about. There are some things that happen to us. There are some things we do to other people. Jesus is saying, it would have been better if you weren't even alive to do it. Because it causes so much damage for years and years and years. I, I, I remember... You know, I, I would, when I was in seminary, I studied the parallel verse that is found in Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about woe to the offenses, and he, he talks about, you know, you know, woe to the one who causes a little one to stumble. And, and then he says something that's really curious. He says, their angels always behold their father, the face of their father in heaven. For as long as we can tell, in Hebrew theology and the way people thought, and in Christian theology, there is this idea that God has appointed specific ministers, specific uh, heavenly beings to be assigned over specific things. So you see that there are powers and principalities. There's assigned people over areas, over towns, over entire countries. And what you see here is this idea that there are actually angels to be assigned to each and every one of us. But it's not like how we joke about it. Where it's like, you ever meet someone who's like super clumsy? Like, I'm really clumsy and I'm really nervous and I'm gonna trip over this carpet, which is really janky. But like, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you almost have a whole team of angels, like, like protecting you. So, you know what I mean? You're always getting into trouble. Um, the, the context that we see Jesus actually referring to angels over is a context where. They are legion before the presence of the face of God Himself. And when you have been victimized, they see it. And Jesus is promising here there is justice. These angels are coming to enact God's wrath. That's the biblical picture of angels. Not with cupids playing harps, right? But they are before the throne of God, before his face. They see what's happening. They see what's 
Seelenlos. They see who God, whoever turned on to this or that thing which wrecked their life. They see it all. But being a soul body, I remember um, when I met Blaine, she had an ankle bracelet on. And uh, there's a whole story to that. And I was just, like trying to get her to come to Bible study. And it was like, listen, you can't go nowhere. <laughs> so come across the street to this Bible study. Even if you're not into the Bible, at least you'll be with some people. And not in your you know, trailers, just, just, just alone, right? And, um, and then she told the story of how that happened, how she got this thing for 18 months. And there was some guy touching a little kid, and she'd beat the hell out of him. And I looked her in her face, and maybe I'm a bad pastor for this, but I was like, God's going to let the hell suck. Yep. <laughs> okay, you gotta face your consequences. You gotta face your consequences here. Right? But Jesus says it would be better to have you lose than for you to screw up somebody's life. Um, it's also abuse of the soul, right? So people become disillusioned with God. They, they, you maybe have fathers that were distant or circumstances in life that were up and down, unstable, dramatic. And what happens is that we can begin to see God as distant, cruel, and, and just out there get us. And some of us have actually had folks lord over our faith, as Paul talks about, where we were in church communities where People weren't telling us to die to ourselves so that we might live to Jesus as people on our own journey, expressing that in so many different ways. They were like, no, you need to die to who you are so you can become like me. And there's like a cultic control over everything you do, everything you watch, everything you say. And what happens is that abuse can turn people away from God altogether. Or you just hop from church to church to church. Right? And, and, and it's like all your relationships are trying to find someone who will control you. But they don't like it. So you run away. So many ways to fall away. So many ways to stumble. So many ways to cause someone to stumble. You know, we know better than maybe some folks. I think we know here in Gloucester, maybe better than some folks, and maybe, and forgive me if you're from Cherry Hill, but maybe better than you in Cherry Hill, about this idea that if you live dirty, it will come back to you. See, like money can cover over some stuff, and you can continue to treat people terribly and use them like a piece of paper and throw them out and continue to move on with your life and not see any consequence from it. But we know that we know that we know, as Jesus says, when life teaches us, when you live that way, it comes back to you. It always comes back to you. And so we see it here in verse 47. We see this idea of judgment. Let me read it. 
says, and if your eyes cause you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. So this idea of hell, the word being used here is Gehenna. Hell, the unquenchable fire. It, it, it's, just, it's just place, an actual place. About eight years ago, I was uh, in a church in Philadelphia. We lived, I don't know if you've watched Dr. Oz or heard about the heroin camp in Kensington, but we lived literally like right across the field and under the field between the two bridges was right at the heart of that camp. So under the bridges, it would shoot up and there was a whole, there was like a little tent where some guy would like change your needles and there's like people living down there and it was like, and, and, and it, was, it was crazy, you know, there were people like wandering the neighborhood in Kensington all the time like zombies. And, uh, you know, it seemed like there was always a fire going on down there. This was a huge area. There were just spots where there would just be like a tire. It's just dumped. You know, there would be other spots where there would just be couches. And, you know, it's like people who didn't want to pay the money to get rid of their stuff in a legit way would just go to this poor neighborhood and just dump all their junk and leave. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples and telling them this. He was right in Jerusalem and he was like, okay, here's your Kensington. Here, here's your valley, your aunt, you know, your common rail tracks. There was literally a place in Jerusalem where they had all of their trash and it would constantly burn. It, it was just constantly, there would be fires constantly being set off. There would be people down there who were leprous, that couldn't be a part of society. It was a miserable place. But not only was it currently a miserable place, but it had a spiritual significance because it was the area that long before Jesus, God's people didn't listen to him. He said, don't marry the people around you. Don't accept their gods. Be faithful to me. And they didn't listen. And they gave into the pressure. And they started marrying the people around them. They started adopting their ways, which their ways included in that very valley, placing their children in the arms of Moloch. And Moloch was this stone idol. And he'd have his outstretched arms like this, and you'd put your child on it, and there would be a furnace behind the idol. So that your children would cook on the idol, be an offering. A sacrifice. This is what Jesus is saying. This horrible place, we are like a conveyor belt in that direction from the moment that we're born. You know? We're on a conveyor belt. You know, and, and, and what happens is we lose our humanity. We invited these people from the secular society and you can. So that's like a, that's a Ivy League school. So you have like people who are going to be senators and CEOs and, you know, one of them is currently our president. You know what I mean? He went to that school. And, 
And um, so we, 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 were, we grabbed them over, and then we had them come and serve, and then um, we cleaned out, we made trash bags from all the trash in the, down in the valley, and we picked up, you know, hundreds and hundreds of needles, and put them in the proper receptacles and all that. And, um, you know, we talked about what makes this place like this? You know, what, what makes the hood, the hood, not a neighborhood, right? There's no neighbors. It's that the image of God becomes diluted and becomes washed away. And we can sit here and point fingers over the river or uh, under the Wall Whitman Bridge over in Camden, but and we're really honest with ourselves. We're just a few welfare checks away from being the hood right here in Gloucester City. And, you know, I just think of that 1972 RB hit by Moore. Still, I think Dylan's already probably laughing. <laughs> and um, this is the lyrics. It goes like this. Wonder when I'll find paradise. Somewhere there's a home, sweet and nice. Wonder where I'll find happiness. Never give it up now, I guess. Don't you know that it's true that for me and for you, the world is a Let's make no mistake. Whatever your politics are, whatever you you know, you think about the complicated situation that's just unfolding before our eyes in Iran and Iraq. If our reaction is, yeah, turn the glass in the desert and destroy our enemies, that is a godless. Lawlessness is vile too. And just letting people hurt each other and not being involved. And I'm not saying pacifism and all that. But I'm saying if your heart response is, you know what I mean? Like they are them and we are us and we should get them. That's, that's just on an international stage, the same drama we have holding out on our blocks and in our homes and with our own family. When we just see people, we see them as the enemy. As irredeemable. We see in verse 48 this idea of the worm. Jesus continues on and says, where their worm does not die, their, the fire is not quenched. You know, this, this is a direct quote from the prophet Isaiah 600 years earlier, and it's the very end of the book of Isaiah. It's, it's, where, Jesus, it's where Isaiah the prophet is talking about this new world that's going to be put together. And he's talking about how great it's going to be. But then he also is talking about how the fact that those who are God's enemies will be finally destroyed. And there will be justice. And you can't just keep living dirty and keep burning people and keep living your way and not expect to feel God's wrath. Okay. And this is what the whole Bible teaches. Daniel 12, 
Now, you know, at the end of that prophecy, what do we see? We see this picture that God's going to raise up everybody on the last day. And he's going to raise up some to glory. And he's going to raise up some to shame. The most horrifying image you can imagine is being cast away from life itself, from God himself. Right? And um, we're not describing here the Western mosaics, you know, like the St. Peter's Basilica where God is like Zeus and he's in heaven and he's like shooting down bolts of lightning and like torturing people because they were just like decent people but they happened to be born in the wrong country or like decided to follow the wrong religion. <laughs> this is, we are all on a conveyor belt to turn our backs to God. And we just stay on that conveyor belt. And the sad reality is that we all have had a vivid picture of this in real time on this side of life because of the scourge of the whole opiate epidemic. Where, where people that we love, that our family members and our, the people that, that are close to us, maybe even us ourselves, you know, things that we said we would never do to People who, who never thought they would steal are stealing. They would never thought they would hurt somebody, have to hurt somebody. They never thought they would lie to somebody or lie to somebody. And yet, they still have God's image. And I want you to hear this tonight. As long as you have breath, there is good in you. As long as your heart beats, there is a chance for you. But I also need you to hear that at some point, the conveyor belt drops off. And that process of becoming less and less and less in the image of God and becoming more and more selfish just completes itself. Most of the biblical pictures of hell, except for this one and a couple in Revelation, most of them are darkness and you're outside, you're not in the party, you're not in the presence of God, and there is weeping and regret. So what do you need to do? You see in verse 45, it says, and if your foot causes you to fall away, he talks about your eyes, right? He talks about your hands. It's better to enter life than to go to hell. Listen, it is better to enter life made. So you need to drop some dumb stuff. You need to drop some stuff that's destroying your body and your soul. Even if your very identity is wrapped around it. Even if this is how you've always been. This is how all the people around you have always been. This is what you grew up in. This is all you know. Listen, there, there are two spiritual paths that we can follow. One is acceptance and one is resistance. And acceptance is the one that you hear all the time on TV, on the radio, right? There's apps now that like are built into your iPhone for mindfulness. And what's the idea there? It's like organizing your thoughts and focusing on one each at its own time 
and eating each moment and accepting it. It's this idea that suffering is created in our minds, that it's a perception. Here's the, here's the Buddhist version of it. That attachment is what brings suffering. That it, you feed your ego. What you need to do is, if, if you do that, you're, you're holding yourself down to this carnal, fleshly thing. And what you need to do is release yourself. Or, or this, there's this um, new age thing called the secret, right? That Oprah is like banging the drum on all the time, right? And all kinds of people are banging the drum on. And this is the idea that you speak into existence what you want. You send the vibes that you want into the universe, and then it comes back to you. And I'm here to say that there are so-called churches that teach this all the time. But Christian spirituality is one of reality and resistance. God calls you not to just accept how everything is and get in tune with the universe. God calls you to fight what's wrong in the universe, what's wrong in you. It, it, it doesn't separate the mind from everything else, from politics and from your very life, right? So this is what happened to Christianity. Christianity just became this mental construct and it has no culture. It doesn't it doesn't invade everyday life and it's this abstract thing. And so like I don't know about you, but I mean I remember going to church and that's how I was. There was the symbols up on the wall and they would speak sometimes in another language and it was just this like big fuzzy wuzzy thing that I couldn't possibly understand. No, but Christian spirituality is this when you're sick you don't need to just think different, you need a healer. When you're broke, you need a job. You need opportunity. You need to change your life. You, you, when your, your sin and rebellion has got you trapped, you don't need positive vibes from people around you. We needed an incarnation. We needed Jesus to break into history. We needed a real savior from our real sin and real healing from our real sickness. We need to cut out what's dumb and destructive in our life. We need to name it and own it and turn from it. And this is the thing. What? I mean, Jesus talking about things that are good, right? Like your hand is a good thing. Your eye is a good thing. Your leg is a good thing. Sometimes you need to cut things out of your life. But sometimes that means even your own family. And sometimes... That means the thing that you really wanted in life, the, the dream you really had, like I was gonna get married to this type of person, or I was gonna have this type of job, or I was gonna fill in the blank. And that's not how things turned out. And you are going in circles because you're holding on with a death grip onto that thing that you wanted that didn't turn out. I'm tired of burying our people here most. Some of the most demonic words that can be uttered is it is what it is. Nothing ever changes. That's not true. 
Asinge. Asinge. So we end here in verse 49 and 50. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if if salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Um, I uh, include this story because um, Lane always got a kick at how much of a nerd I am. So um, a couple years ago, I got to got to see Metallica right over, you know, right over on Wells Fargo. There's a picture of that. There you go. That was a lot of fun. And um, there was a band that opened up from a town called Volby, which was this Swedish band that um, makes like um, rockabilly, fusion, metal. And I'm sorry if somebody came here tonight who happens to be a Volby super fan, but uh, I didn't care at all about seeing Volby. I cared about seeing Metallica. You know what I'm saying? That's who I wanted to see. So Jesus here, and Jesus throughout all of the New Testament, what does he say? He's saying, listen, listen, in this life, listen, like if I were to give you this deal, which one would you take? You can, you can, um, you know, sit up front in an opening act. You can listen to Volbeat and be like, you know, just, just feet away from their singer, you know, their drummer and all that stuff. But then when, and you want to see Metallica comes on, right? Like, you got to go to the very nosebleed, which is where we were at, as you can see, because, you know, they're expensive, you know? <laughs> right? Like, and, 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 and then the other deal is, I have another set of tickets where you sit in the very nosebleed for Volby, but then when the main act comes on, you get to come down, and you get to sit on the front row, and then after that, after the band's done, you get to go backstage, and you get to hang, and you get to play some riffs with Jane Tatfield, right? And Lars Lawrence, you get to you get to have that experience. And what Jesus is saying here, and what he's saying throughout the whole New Testament, is that the first will be last, and the last will be first. And what he's saying is, you need to be salted now for Father. You need to be purified now. You need to be maimed. You, you need to cut things out of your life. There are no perfect people in heaven, but there are no unmaimed people in heaven. I know for a fact that my sister Lane is in heaven, and she was far from perfect, but she had some stuff made out of her life. She was disgusting, beating up, pushing up to you. She rearranged her life for her. And this is what I'm saying to you, is that I'm seeing one of us if we want to follow Jesus. Let's not live for right now. There are things we have to give up for him. There are things that we have to lay aside. Stop just spinning your wheels in one spot. I have no doubt in my mind that our sister, Elaine, walked into heaven pretty main. And there ain't no doubt we didn't get to heaven. Once you're there. And she ain't named anymore. 
she is whole. No drama. No drama. No suspicion. No issues. No pain. And no problems. And I know that she would want you Thank you. 